Welcome, all of you wine and true crime lovers. I'm Brandy, and this is Texas Wine and True Crime. Thank you for being here, friends, for episode 54, the Texas Renaissance Festival. I am rolling without my other half for this episode, but I have a very special guest joining me today. David Kushner is an award-winning journalist and author. He currently publishes a newsletter on Substack called Disruptor. He is an author of several books, including Masters of Doom, How Two Guys Created an Empire and Transformed Pop Culture, Johnny Magic and the Card Shark Kids, How a Gang of Geeks Beat the Odds, Stormed Las Vegas, Levittown, Two Families, One Tycoon, and the Fight for Civil Rights in America's Legendary Suburb, just to name a few. A contributing editor of Rolling Stone and Outside, Kushner has written for publications including The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, Wired, and New York Times Magazine. He is the winner of the New York Press Club Award for Best Feature Reporting. NPR named his memoir, Alligator Candy, among the best books of 2016. The Alligator Candy Podcast won the Best True Crime and Best Podcast Experience Awards at the 2021 PopCon Podcast Awards, and is a finalist for Best Personal Lives Podcast at the 2021 New York Radio Awards. Kushner has taught as a as a Ferris Professor of Journalism at Princeton University and an adjunct professor of journalism at New York University. In the early 90s, he was a producer, a writer for SonicNet, which was one of the first music destinations online. He serves on the board of directors of Good Grief, a childhood grief support organization. David, I only scratched the surface with everything you have accomplished. It is really great to have you here today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. And um, David, this week we are discussing the case of Brent Noland um, and the Texas Renaissance Festival. So Brent was attending the Texas Renaissance Festival in Todd Mission, Texas, which is located about an hour northwest of Houston, when he fatally stabbed Brandon Smith 19 times in the parking lot as people were leaving the festival. So the date of the incident was October 16th, 2004. Now, David, you were actually at the festival on the day the murder occurred. So what brought you to the festival on that particular day? Yeah, I went down there. I was on assignment for um, a magazine that's no longer around. Um, it's called FHM, it was a men's magazine. And I had pitched this story about the Texas Renaissance Festival because... You know, like a lot of people, I mean, I grew up going to these festivals. I always find, found them kind of just an intriguing subculture. And this one in Texas is the biggest in the world. Um, you know, and it had been founded by a guy named George Coulomb, uh, who had transformed this tiny town of Todd Mission into kind of a you know working recreation of a Renaissance um, village. And so I was down there to write about it. And, um, you know, and that's why I was there in 2004, hung out for a few days, interviewed him, um, you know, was interviewed, interviewing the, the self-described Rennies who, you know, populated the town and kind of, you know, work at the festival. And I was leaving one, one evening when a scuffle broke out right outside the entrance. And, um, uh, I, I wasn't really sure what was happening, but 
but clearly it was something bad. And then I later found out not only was there a fight, but there was a stabbing and somebody was killed. So um this is this is what happened. And then ultimately, you know, FHM magazine actually went out of business before my story ran. So I never finished the story and, um, you know, I never published it, but it was something that I thought about a lot. Um, not only because the Texas Renaissance Festival, you know, continued to be very popular and very successful and all that. Um, but because of this crime that I, I had actually witnessed and I always wondered what happened, you know, and who was it? Um, and so it, it took me, it took me 17 years. But I decided to revisit it and and, and finally write that story um, for my newsletter. Yeah, and you wrote about your experiences from that day um, titled Renaissance Texas, Fantasy and Murder at the World's Biggest Ren Fair, which is a nine-part serialized story um, that you that you just mentioned you ran in your newsletter. By the way, I, and I told you this before we started um, – I found it fascinating because if you if you're just um, an average person trying to read about this case, you know, just a true crime buff looking at, you know, what happened. I don't think you get the actual feel for the environment, which I think plays an important part in this, um, the environment that exists over in Todd Mission, Texas. So I know a lot of listeners are really this is going to be new for them, especially if they've never been to this festival. I have never been to this festival. I've heard of this festival, but I've actually um, never been. Uh, but I can't wait to really talk about this because I think um, the King George, like you mentioned, uh, you know, George mm -hmm. or, or King, whatever the whatever the Rennies call him. And, and the fact that this population mm -hmm. of this place was only a little over 100 people. Um, when mm -hmm. and running for mayor. So we're going to get into all that. I, I find all of this very fascinating. Um, but I did want to start, you know, uh, I know you're probably new to our show. Um, and I'm just so glad that you that you came on. But every episode, we always like to give some facts um, about where our crime takes place, the city that we're talking about in Texas. And for this one, we're talking about Todd Mission, Texas. So there was something I pulled a few snippets from your writing. Um, and I feel like this really describes this area. So are you okay if I go ahead and read some of this? Sure. Okay, cool. Just to give our listeners an idea about, about Todd Mission. So you said, in a lot of ways, the town of Todd Mission resembles the sort of rugged cowboy country one might expect northwest of Houston. There was a boarded up roadhouse called the Museum of a Thousand Horns, once a bar notorious for its patron's habit of carrying concealed deadly weapons and its motto, the horniest place in Texas. Off the, off the roadside, a junk dealer named Al sat glowering in a rickety armchair on his scrap-strewn lawn, the words, fuck you, tattooed across the top of his bald, weathered head. <laughs> but tucked in the woods off of the main roadway, Farm Road 1774, was a 55-acre property working recreation of a 16th century European village. Manicured marigold gardens and cobblestone pathways spread across the lush property, which included a full jousting arena modeled after the Roman Colosseum rising alongside a lake. There were alehouses, blacksmith stalls, and puppet booths. The public pillories in the center of the festival were among the more popular photo ops. So I found that so, you know, it, 
here, here's why I find that so fascinating. It's because when you're in, I live in Dallas, by the way, so I'm in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And you read this, and the first thing I think of is Scarborough Fair. Because if you're in Dallas and you're not a big Rennie, or you don't know much about, about um, or, or not really into the Renaissance, the Scarborough Fair was just something we were brought to as kids. And it's just, you know, a 30-minute drive out of Dallas, and you go back home, and it's clearly a festival that was just put together for, you know, a certain period of time. But this is a way of living. Mm-hmm. You know, what you write about and what, right. I, and what I read, this became a way of living for people. And I think that's the really fascinating thing about it is that a lot of people are really going to to hear some things they've never heard. And so it's just fascinating to me that this even exists in Texas. <laughs> I'm just fascinated that this is like a whole nother world. So what what were your yeah. thoughts when you got there? Um, You know, I mean, really a lot along the lines of what you're saying, you know, because I I'd spent time in, uh, I actually lived in Dallas a little bit, working okay. on my first book, and I had, had you know, traveled around, stayed a bit, but, you know, driving out from Houston, um, you know, in, into the country, and then back there in the woods, you start to see, um, you know, <laughs> like, these homes that are, that were created by the Rennies who lived there. And then you've got the grounds and the festival and you know, the jousting arena and all that stuff. And, and then you have um, this guy, George, who built a very, you know, uh, like a, a sprawling property, um, very ornate, you know, his own kind of castle there in Todd Mission. So um, it was a testament to this guy's, termination and his dream to do this. And, um, and he actually pulled it off. And so, you know, and it's been going on for nearly 50 years now. So it's pretty incredible just to go out there and see what, what he's accomplished. Which I plan on doing that after reading your story, because um, I, I have to see it for myself. So let's talk about George, King George. Some people call him King George. Some people call him King. You mentioned he built a sprawling, um, I do believe it was a mansion, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so so l- I just want people to kind of get an idea of this of, of before we get into the case, really just the environment. So he's there. Now, he did he go to Todd Mission and then run for mayor? Did he basically just say I'm the I'm the king, right? I'm gonna I bought this property and then he ran his, the own his own election. Do I have that right? Yeah, I mean, basically, what happened um, was you know he went there and then he incorporated this town um, and you know and then has. Um, run for mayor ever since, and uh, and you know continued to um, to to be the mayor, and and basically you know like I said, I mean it's a really small, um, you know it's a, it's a tiny town. I mean I think it was only about a hundred people or so mm-hmm. um, when he when he had first arrived. Um, so he was able to do that, and um, and really just. Uh, um, you know, spend decades kind of building out uh, this this world of his own, and um, you know, and for the locals, 
it was a good thing because it, you know, it, it was fueling the local economy mm-hmm. and um, people were able to, you know, to get jobs there. And, uh, and it really became, you know, this very interesting kind of a, a mashup of, you know, Texas cowboy country and then um, these Renaissance fair, you know, attendees and, and reenactors. Fascinating. And then we actually and and you mentioned there were people started working there, right? Started becoming part of the festival. And then mm-hmm. people started then they just stayed, right? Maybe some of the, the what we call them what you call them in your story, the Rennies. Didn't they decide to stay and mm-hmm. actually they live there? So do they actually live on the property that the festival actually <laughs> takes place? Yeah. yeah. So um, you know, the the Renaissance fairs um, happen around the country, as you know, and and people, uh, you know, generally in the fall is kind of when this this goes on. And the people who are working these festivals uh, are somewhat nomadic in the sense that they are traveling, you know, from here to there, and um, it's a whole it's a whole economy and culture and community. Um, not totally unlike the Grateful Dead, actually, and Deadheads kind of going from show to show and setting up vending and all of that. But these are obviously, this is obviously more like a theme park. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was what happened. And then, but, but because Texas, um, the Texas Renaissance Fair became so big and so popular and George became such a kind of a character in that world. Um, people chose to live there off season. So there's actually, um, this area, um, near the festival grounds, which they call Renaissance Village, and people live there and they live in houses and tents, uh, and, wow. you know, um, little compounds that they, they built themselves that look, you know, like I described in the story, you know, sometimes it looks like something out of Lord of the Rings people building kind of tree houses and wow. things of that nature. That's incredible. Wow. Okay. Aram, let's go ahead and talk about what happened um, that night as we navigate mm-hmm. through the details of October 16th, 2004. So Brent William Nolan, 19 years old um, in 2004 was attending the festival that day. Also in the crowd was Brandon Smith, 23 years old. Brandon was a member of the U S mm-hmm. Navy and he was known to frequently and actively recruit others to take a look at the Navy and what they had to offer. So everybody knows, you know, um, he was very passionate, right? So we 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 know that when the military and they try to recruit and they try to talk to people, um, he was a Navy seaman that um, was stationed at Norfolk Naval Base in Virginia, and he was actually only going to be home for a couple of days to visit his family. So that's why he was here back in Texas. Mm-hmm. He went to the festival that day right. with his mom um, and his sister. His sister is also um, in the military and she was on leave at the time. So the two men did not know each other. Nolan and Smith did not know each other before meeting at the festival that day. So it was just sort of a freak chance. They encountered each other um, inside the festival. So Noland was attending, though, with a big group of friends, um, and he basically stops from just from my research and then then things I've read and your and your article. He he 
basically loses his friends. Nolan gets separated from his friends and he needs to use a phone. So he ta- he stops and talks to Brandon and his sister and they allow him to use the phone and try to contact some friends. Um, is that is that kind of what you heard um, with the story of how they actually encountered each other yeah. first? Right. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got, um, I think it estimated like 500,000 people who are going in and out of that festival, you know, every season. So there's a lot of people coming and going. Yep. And, you know, obviously it's kind of a, it's a festive um, scene. People are excited to be there. You know, um, there's, there's partying going on. Obviously there's a lot of people are drinking and so forth. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was kind of the scene, like the hustle and bustle, people entering the Renaissance fair and, you know, Brandon was there, um, with his family mm-hmm. and then this guy approaches them, you know, with an innocent enough request, which is to use a phone. Yeah. Um, he was there, Brent Nolan was there with a larger group of people though. I, uh, approximately six to 10 people were there in his group, any um okay so you said about 500 that's incredible 500,000 people going in and out that day um yeah that's well it, over the course of a yeah over the yeah, course not of one day meaning over the course of the the weeks of the festival and um, how long how long does the how long does the festival actually go for um you know at the time it's about 8 weeks oh so, wow okay um, yeah i believe a couple months mm-hmm. okay so how many people, so I read there was about three to 5,000 people there that day, um, which I guess would make sense about mm-hmm. the 500,000 over the course of, of a few of a few weeks. Um, and I just find it ironic and, and uh, I don't know, uh, weird that they also encounter each other outside the festival, which is what we'll get into in um, just a minute. So these two happen to cross paths inside the festival. He asked to use Brandon's phone. He gets separated from his friends. Brandon's just talking to him about the military and, you know, why he's in it. And, and maybe Nolan should take a look at it. There was, I also read that they possibly exchanged phone numbers to maybe keep in contact mm-hmm. um, as a possible recruit. So, mm-hmm. I, I, so it seems friendly at first, everything seems fine. And then I read, and I, and I, again, I want to make sure that, um, that I, uh, that I have this clear. And I'm assuming because, you know, Brandon couldn't tell us his story, that the stories are coming from people around them and also his sister who was there. So I did read that maybe Nolan had made some comments towards the, not after he's finished using the phone, he maybe made a derogatory comment towards Brandon's sister or just another Mm -hmm. female in the general area. Did you hear anything Mm -hmm. like that, that sort of started this before they're exiting the festival or did everything, or did you hear that everything was just okay inside? Um, They had run into each other you know, early on that day. And then um, they had kind of run into each other again. And there was an invitation to go out, um, you know, to, to go out and, and have a beer, like mm-hmm. in the parking lot. I mean, you know, yep. Nolan had already been kind of partying inside and, you know, smoking some weed and having some Xanax and all of that. 
Um, so, uh, you know, there was, you know, like I said, I mean, the party atmosphere kind of can flow out into the parking lot. People are meeting, people are hanging out, but, but then, yes, I mean, there were some words exchanged, mm-hmm. um, you know, on, and the story is, is that it was around, um, you know, Brendan's, uh, sister, um, that, um, that something was, was said and then this is where mm-hmm. things just kind of started to turn. Yeah. And the reason they were starting to exit the festival, it was around seven or seven thirty, there were fireworks starting and they people were mm-hmm. leaving the festival to get a good seat to watch the fireworks. Some were going back to their cars. I know there was um, a, a field nearby or a place where people can can sit. So people are exiting the festival at this time. Nolan is then exiting with his group of buddies. Um, like we said, about six to ten. There were um, males and females in this group. And that's when he again sees Brandon and Kristen Smith. So words are exchanged between the two groups. One report said that um, Kristen was actually arguing with another girl in Nolan's group. But but either way, there was just bickering going back and forth between the two. Brandon, her brother, attempts to step in, stop the altercation. And at that time, he is attacked. And I say attacked and ambushed because that's what he was. Jonathan DeMuth. Um, took it upon himself to kick Smith while he's down and Nolan pulls out a pocket knife and starts stabbing him and ends up stabbing him 19 times in the chest and in the back. Um, so hard that the five inch pocket knife actually broke into Smith's ribs. And then the group takes off and Nolan and DeMuth turn themselves in the next day. So what did you hear when you're getting into your car? Because you were in that parking lot when this was happening. Yeah, well, I wasn't in my car. I was, I was uh, maybe I don't know, twenty yards away um, okay. when I just heard shouting and you know um, yelling, and mm-hmm. and then I turned to see um, just a commotion and a crowd of people and fighting and just sort of chaos and you know um my instinct was to get away <laughs> from yeah, all of that sure. honestly, because <laughs> i didn't sure. want to be a part of it and yeah. um you know and like i said i mean you know it's not uncommon that you see people fighting outside of a uh, outside of anywhere where they've been drinking a lot right there's right. a lot of booze flowing around and so maybe there's fights and that's kind of what i figured happened i just figured there was some sort of a fight um, and it wasn't really until I, I guess it was probably the next day when I went to see George Coulomb, um, you know, who runs the festival. And, mm-hmm. and when I returned and kind of went to their mission control in the office, that's when I found out. And it was just, um, you know, they were they were kind of in in damage control because, you know, somebody had died. Yeah. So this festival has been going on since 1974. Is Was this the actual first murder that had occurred at the festival? As far as I know, yeah. I mean, there had never been anything reported like that. But Before. Yeah, I mean, uh, okay. I, yeah, that's what I thought, too. But it wasn't it hasn't been the last. In fact, there's been a few well, other things, correct? 
Right. Yeah. There was, there was, um, you know, there've been, Todd Mission is a small town and, um, you know, I found it interesting that there's been, there's been violent crimes and, and drug incidents in and around that area. Um, you know, um, and there was, um, there was a situation in the, in, in the campground just a couple of years ago involving somebody else. Um, so, you know, the festival will maintain that, you know, they've had been around there for decades and, and, you know, these, these sorts of things are few and far between, which they are, but, you know, I mean, they certainly raised questions about, uh, security and, um, and just how everything was maintained there and, you know, and, and what, what might be done to prevent these sort of things from happening at all. Right. That was going to be my next question. Did you notice any heavy security at this festival? Was it, were there police officers? I mean, I know this is a very small town. So do you know what the security was like on that day? Um, you know, this was kind of part of what came out um, afterwards were these questions of how much security was there and how much wasn't there. I mean, I spoke mm-hmm. with the sheriff, Don Sowell, who's still um, sheriff down there in Grimes County and was saying that, you know, suggesting that they could have better could have had better security that day. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, again, it's, it's the mix of when you yeah. take alcohol and you take jousting and, you, <laughs> you know, you take um, all of this stuff going on all day. I mean, these, these sorts of things are, are not surprising that the fights would break out. Um, but I mean, clearly there wasn't security there. Um, at the entrance that that was able to prevent this from happening. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, I think of um, when you were just saying drinking and jousting, it makes me think of like medieval times, mm-hmm. right? Because you go in there and you go mm-hmm. and you eat and then they start fighting. <laughs> you know, like uh, right. there's a, right. and you're drinking yeah. and it is, it is just the environment. And when you have thousands and thousands of people, um, doing the right. those things that it can be, um, even probably with maybe with top security, it was a, probably a little bit um, hard to to control um, everyone. But yeah. yeah, so you know, I'm just again, it's I find it the story very fascinating, and and the fact that a lot of people just have never I had never heard of Todd Mission Texas. Um, and I had no idea it only had about a hundred people in it, um, when, when all of this was being created and it really was like you said, George's dream. And I did read about his passion for this time period. And can you, can you tell, can you highlight a little bit of that, of just his idea around this, why he created this? Was it just a fascination for, for this time period? I know he was a history buff, you know, what, what did he share with you about it? Um, you know, these, the Renaissance festivals in general kind of came out of, you know, that, that seventies kind of hippie uh, scene, you know, there was a fascination with the, the pageantry of that time period and the art and the science and, you know, and kind of, uh, um, people would romanticize that. So, he was among um, he was among the people early on who you know became 
compelled by um, that time period and then, you know, kind of went, he was from Utah, he went up to Northern California and, um, you know, started working as a glass blower and all of that. And then started to experiment with uh, doing some teaching, getting people to, you know, to do their own kind of art at these festivals. And I finally decided maybe he would have a go um, at this himself and, uh, and, you know, and try to create something, um, some, some world of his own. And, um, and that's really what happened. And his challenge though was, you know, where to do it and how, and that's when he found this place in, in Texas, which was, um, you know, at the time in, in 1974, I mean, there really wasn't much there at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, it became so popular that then the press starts descending and everybody wants to know, you know, who is this guy and kind of what's this, this world that he, he created. So fascinating. Okay, let's talk about the trial. So we know that the two guys turned themselves in the next day um, after the altercation. So when um, the trial approached, the defense team took a self-defense approach, claiming Nolan was stabbed in the leg by Brandon. Um, And basically, he just had no choice. He had to defend himself against um, Brandon. But there was only one weapon found at the scene. And they do believe that the wound was most likely either self-inflicted you know, outside of the scuffle or happened during the scuffle. Um, In 2006, Nolan was found guilty of murdering Brandon Smith and was sentenced to 55 years in prison. Nolan was also ordered to pay the maximum fine of $10,000 for first degree felony. He will be eligible for parole consideration in 2034. You know, I wonder if they took the fact that he was 19 years old when this happened. Um, I know that they were trying to get his sentence a lot less because of his age. And they tried to claim maybe heat of passion with the arguing going on between the two groups. Um, Were you surprised by this sentence? Um, No. You know, I mean, I think they were they were trying to make claims of of self defense and all of that, mm-hmm. but but that didn't stick. I mean, it was just clear that this was somebody who, um, you know, acted out violently and mm-hmm. took someone's life. So, no, I'm you know, I, I really wasn't surprised, and um, you know, and I think it just it sent a very strong message. I mean, it was like. The, uh, the 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 captain of the police force was basically saying that you know drink weed and stupid and stupidity can mix anywhere and yeah. and that's pretty much what um, you know what was happening. I mean, you had uh, you know you just had sort of uh, sort of the the party without the police, pretty much. Um, and so I think it was sending a message. Um, you know, throughout the community that, um, that obviously these things are being taken seriously and that changes needed to be made to, you know, prevent anything like that from happening again. Yeah. And I, and I, I agree with you. I don't, um, I think this, the sentence was, um, well deserved. And I also think that, you know, the one person the jury heard from in court was Brandon's mother. Um, her name is Janet Folsom. 
So she was, and like we mentioned earlier, she was actually at the festival that day, but she had left in a separate car just moments um, basically before the kids come out. And she recalled, you know, she tells the court that she remembers seeing ambulances. She saw police cars, fire trucks heading into the direction of the festival as she was on her way home. And, you know, she just said, I had a gut feeling. I just had a gut feeling. And I said, I feel like something's happened to the kids. And as a mom myself, that was really hard to, um, to read and just her and, and, and again, and also because she also told the court, you know, Brandon was, you know, the third child of her four children to die in an early tragic death. So she had lost her first son, Jason, to drowning in a swimming pool. She had lost her youngest, Jeremy, um, in 2003 from a four-wheeler accident. And she had also lost her husband to a heart attack when Brandon was only six. And also being a mom myself and losing a son myself, different circumstances, my heart just really just went out to his mother. I mean, I just can't. You know, you see the, you know, like she said, she sees those ambulances, you know, going by. But I mean, I can I can only imagine how impactful her statement was on the stand, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sorry for your own loss. Um, but yes, I mean, it was certainly a lot of tragedy um, in her life. And um, yeah, it's heartbreaking to 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 know all that and um you know i think that for me it's like there's this bigger question of just fantasy and reality like you know and and that was what happened in the story i think which is that you know here was somebody who went about creating um a fantasy world you know where all of these things were possible and you could kind of try to you know live this live this free life um that you know people imagined people were living back then but you know reality certainly crashed in on this day in a very tragic way um that just shattered this family who was already dealing with all kinds of struggles yeah and she also told the court that when she arrived home the neighbors were actually outside waiting for her and um, mm-hmm. she dro- they drove her to the hospital, and she says that she knew the woman working in, in the emergency room, and she said she looked at her face and she just knew. And then she said she saw her son lying on the gurney with a sheet over him. And I just, you know, I, 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 you, you hear, you know, she's telling the court this, um, and I can only imagine just... Um, how they felt, how she felt, and really just sending the message that it's just not okay. It's not okay to go somewhere and to, like you said, live this fantasy. You know, imagine, I mean, that's the thing. They're dressed up, they're drinking, they're in big groups, there's jousting, right? There, there's cheersing with the beers, there's there's probably beer flying everywhere. I mean, it's it's almost like they're in this world that is not reality. They're at a festival, but it almost is like, a world that they went into and then came out thinking that they were just still a part of that world. That is, that's the feeling that I get when I think about of this crime and just the generalization of, of what was going on that day. And then just the festival in general. And you have a family who has 
a couple of kids that are in the military that are good kids. They come home on leave just to see their mom when they can, even if it's only for, for those two days, and then tragedy strikes. And um, it's, this, is a, this is a tough one. This is a this is just a tough case, I think, um, in general for for any parent to read, but really just to find out um, just what she had already gone through, and then and you know, and you have all those people there, right? And the the chances of something happening to your you know your kid at this festival. So it is just it's just terrible and and heartbreaking. Um, the other defendant, Demuth, he was also sentenced um, as well. Um, so they both, um, they both were sentenced for this crime. Um, his sister, uh, unfortunately she, when she took the sand, she thought, you know, she claimed she was diagnosed with post-traumatic shock disorder, anxiety, depression, insomnia. I mean, she witnessed her brother's murder. So, um, you know, I, I understand what, um, what that is, what that is like. So, um, you know, and then the mom too, she was just saying her daughter isn't just, you know, isn't the same person. And, and I, and I talk about this stuff because I think it's important because when somebody does something like this and takes it upon themselves to stab someone 19 times and then so hard that the knife breaks off I don't know if they're just so angry. I don't know if it is just the mixture of drugs and alcohol along with whatever Noland had going on. But then you have another participant who continues to kick Brandon while he's on the ground. And it, and I think it's important to talk about this because other people are impacted. There are so many people impacted by his, by these these men's actions that day that it just it never goes away. And, and this is a continuous thing that this family has to deal with. Um, and I think that is the hardest thing about what I do and, and talking about these crimes. But I think it's important to know that our actions mean something and, and we should think before we act. And, um, you know, it's just it's just unfortunate that, um, you know, this had to happen to, to this woman and her her family. So really, really just really just hard to to read and listen about. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely a tragedy that, you know, still casts a shadow um, over, you know, over that festival. And it's certainly not something people enjoy talking about down there. But, um, you know, it's um, and, and like I said, I mean, as you pointed out, there's still other crimes that happen in the area. There's been other, you know, um, there's been other violent acts that have taken place. So. You know, I think that um, at the end of the day, it, it really comes down to just kind of trying to provide as best security as they can, you know, during these times. And now, you know, they just had this festival um, uh, just this season, and yeah. it's also in the middle of COVID. So, you know, you, you've got that challenge also to deal with. So, yeah. um, you know, it's not easy running a theme park or creating one, especially like in the middle of nowhere of Texas, um, where the, where there wasn't anything like this before and there hasn't been since. Yeah. So, so you know, that, that sort of brings challenges of its own. So um, do you know of anything that has, uh, well, one, have you been back since this time? No, I, I haven't been back to the festival no, since now. Okay. Um, I, um, 
I, I listeners, if you if any of you have been to this festival or know about it, I'm sure I'm sure we have a lot of listeners. So I'm sure somebody's going to say they've been. Um, I would really like to hear from you and just get your thoughts about if you went this year or I they didn't ha- did they have it last year because of COVID or is this the first time they're coming back with it? Um, I'm not sure what happened last year. I, I can't recall what happened yeah. last year, but this year was kind of a big return. And, and you know, it, you know, the, people go and they have a great time and, you know, yeah. that, that festival is popular for a reason. So this is, none of this is to suggest that like, you know, it's out of control mayhem. Oh gosh, no. It's yeah. Not. Right. And, 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 right. And they've, they've had it going for decades, but at the same time, you know, the, there is a reality, um, and there are these incidents that have happened, and you know, and 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 this one um, is one that you know it, it's certainly left a, a, a deep mark on on the Texas Renaissance Fair. Yeah. Well, um, you know, again, I just find this story very fascinating. When I was um, when somebody had reached out about doing this case. When you, like I said, when you read it, um, you know, just researching it, Googling it and reading, there's there's not a ton of information. Um, but when I read your nine, nine piece story about your experience and that you were actually there, I was totally fascinated. So thank you for writing that and sharing your experiences um, and really giving Brandon, um, you know, just the um, the attention that it deserved for you know him and his family and I hope that um, you know I'm sure they've beefed up security and done all kinds of things but I know this was a passion for for George and his vision and it has come to life and I know that um, there are lots of people I did read who who adore him and love him and thank him for creating this environment for them. And, um, you know, so I hope it continues to to be a success. And like you said, things can happen anywhere. I mean, you know, there's there's things that have been hap- happened at football games and baseball games, and they still continue to to go on with life and to continue. So there would be no reason to think that um, the Renaissance Festival wouldn't continue. But, you know, there there have been other crimes since um, since this one there. Uh, I didn't research and, and write about um, those particular cases, but that's something I can bring up to the listeners at a later time. But uh, yeah, if you have, if you've actually been to this festival, I would love to know um, your thoughts about. I think I'm just fascinated. I need to go myself. I just need to see this for myself, um, right. and really just to just to kind of yeah. soak it all in. But um, is there anything else yeah. you'd like to mention um, about the case, or um, just your your nine piece story, or anything mm-hmm. you'd like people to know about you? Um, you know, if people can read more of the stories that I'm doing exclusively on my newsletter, which is just davidkushner.substack.com. And then for my other stories and, and links to other work that I, I put out there, you can just go to my main website, which is davidkushner.com. Perfect. And I actually have a list of, um, I had a, I had a very very large bio on you which I loved. There's so much detail. I'm going to actually post that in my show notes so then people can um, look at your books and just see the list and and all of the the publication and everything else you have out there. So I'll make sure that um, they have access to right. that as well in the show notes. Okay, great. Well, I appreciate uh, that. 
All right. Well, David, thank you again for being here today. And um, as always, sure. friends, um, yes, thank you. Thank you again. I hope you come back. Um, I, You've done so much and I know that there... Oh, can you please tell us one thing? Can you give us just... For, for my own self, but I know they're going to be um, interested in this. Tell us about alligator candy. Um, you know, that's a memoir that I wrote um, about um, uh, my own kind of tragic family story that happened when I was a kid when I had, a, I had an older brother who was randomly just kidnapped and murdered. And, um, so yeah, I mean, when I'm writing a story like this one about in Texas, I certainly empathize with the family, um, in, in a very specific way. And, um, I wrote a memoir about that. And then the, the memoir, um, we adapted into a podcast, um, which came out earlier this year. So people can listen to Alligator Candy podcast, mm-hmm. um, you know, wherever they find podcasts or they can. They can read my book. Well, I'm sorry for your loss as well. Um, I had Thanks. not been able to venture into alligator candy yet, um, but when I saw what it had, um, its accolades, I uh, it's top of my list. But um, I had uh, no idea. So thank you for sharing that, and I'm I'm sorry for your loss. Sure. And I always say sometimes it's a you know, I, it's funny when I, when I talked about my son's death, I didn't do it on my show. I actually did it when I was a guest on another podcast and they asked me, mm-hmm. have you ever told anyone this? You know, have you ever, do your listeners know? Yeah. And I said, no, this is really kind of the first time right. that I, you know, it's, it's just different when you're, when you're talking about other crimes and other people, and then you go to talk about yourself, it just brings on a different feeling, right? When you're, when you're writing or when you're thinking yeah. about it. Um, so I'm, yeah. I'm glad you were able to write your memoir and I'm sure that was um, helpful in your own way. And, um, you know, so thank you for sharing that. And I know that um, we have lots of listeners who um, have, have, I I always say we'll all deal with some sort of tragedy in your life. We just don't know what it is or when it's actually going to happen. So it's important, Mm -hmm. I think, to be able to work through those things, um, you know, by listening to other podcasts or just listening to other people and reading about their experiences. So I always say we can help each other in that way. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, you know, sharing sharing these stories, um, you know, it's often difficult, but, you know, that is people can learn from others experiences and and you know we all kind of want to know how how did we get through challenges of our own so um you know that was certainly a motivation for me which was just to um you know look from the inside a bit about well how does this you know how did my family get through it how did my parents get through it um which was something that i i really wanted to explore yeah well, I'm glad you did, and I'm glad I can't wait to listen. And I just appreciate you so much for being here today. Um, I sure. hope I Thanks hope we get to me. yeah. I hope we get to visit again soon. I really enjoyed this. So um, I'm going to end the show how I always end the show, David. I usually have a glass of wine in my hand, but I'm not drinking that today. <laughs> Texas wine, true crime. Okay. I, I, I drink wine on the show usually, sure. but uh, I'm solo, yeah. so you know it's not always fun to drink by yourself. <laughs> But I always in the sh- <laughs> but I always in the show saying until next time friends stay safe have fun and cheers to next time